It's time. Are you ready for this? Bada bing, bada bam. Welcome to this week's episode of Bacon a Mystery, Bacon a Murder, and we're jumping right in. This is a candle called Late Fees at the library, but it's really late at night, so my words are getting jumbled. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. Today we are talking about where the crawdads sing, not to be confused with where the crawfish are because they're in my tummy. <laughs> this movie is based on a book, and normally I'm a book person, so I will wait to watch a movie until after I finish the book, but this was produced by Reese Witherspoon, so I had high hopes, and on top of that, the trailer looked so good. So I just watched the movie, and let me tell you... How was it? It was really good. It makes me... Okay, so first of all, normally I don't even like southern style stories because I grew up in the south So I don't know why romanticizing the south in a way just doesn't do it for me because it just Feels so disconnected from the childhood that I actually had but I really 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 love the movie and it made me not want to pick up a copy of the book What? Let me explain. I will tell you why and it's not because the movie is so amazing I don't think the book is gonna live up to the movie. I know the book is gonna get better I know it which is why I can't read the book I know it's gonna shred me apart. I know it's gonna f***ing obliterate me. I know I'm gonna be depressed for two days because I get so into books that I don't even know what's real and what's a book anymore. <laughs> so, um, with that being said, let me get the food. In the spirit of spooky season, we're making these little pumpkin sandwich cookies that I'm so nervous about because I don't know if it's gonna be good. But let's just get into the movie while we're doing this. It all starts with Daisy Edgar Jones and she stars as um, Kaya. Now, we open up the movie being introduced to the marshes of North Carolina. And Kaya wants us to know that the marsh is not a swamp. Marsh is a place where light, where grass grows in water and water flows into the sky. It honestly looks magical. Like normally when I think of the word marsh, I think of a place where alligators live and you can dump dead bodies, but they make <laughs> it literally look like paradise. It looks so aesthetic, which I heard See, people See, that's the detach. Like you think yes. you re watch a movie and you feel like you're the main character and then yeah. you go to the wild and you get mosquito bites. Exactly, <laughs> and then you see a giant bug and then you just want to cry. Yeah. You find a spider in your hair. But I also heard that people had some problems with the book and the movie being disconnected. So the movie makes it look so aesthetic, whereas the book is a lot more realistic. Mm. I believe the author is like a biologist, so she's really into it. You know, I'm mixing it and the consistency is really weird. Anyway, this does not have an eerie vibe to it at all. It's actually sunshine and rainbows, and it looks like what I would want to live in as a kid. Like there are little houses on the marsh. So you have to get there by boat, but it's not like a lake house. It's like a little hut. They don't really have like running water. It's really cute. It's just a really cute place. It doesn't feel like something sinister is hiding in the marshes, like dead bodies. But I don't know. We don't know if it's going to be that kind of movie, right? So Kaya says, within the marsh, you have the true swamps. And the thing about swamps is, swamps know death intimately but it doesn't necessarily define death as a tragedy or a bad thing and it's certainly not a sin it's just a part of life and that's how it starts and you see two young boys riding their bikes through the swampy areas you hear the chirping of the birds the trees look like they're dancing in the wind the rustling of the leaves and then boom dead body Really? I knew it. Yeah, dead body. Yeah. Huh. There's just a dead body on the left, okay? Not just any dead body, the dead body of Chad. Okay, he's not Chad. His name is Chase Andrews, which is like close enough, like Chase, 
Andrews, two first names, not a good way to start, okay? He was one of the best quarterbacks that the town has ever seen. And in North Carolina, that is like someone being royalty. The police were called out to the swamps and um, they tried to figure out how he died. Chase Andrews was not stabbed or shot. He didn't die of dehydration. The only possible way was a fall from like the fire tower. So that's what it's called. In the middle of the swamps, there's this huge fire escape looking thing. It's just a building that's open. It's just a staircase, a metal staircase to a lookout. And to the very top floor, it's what? Maybe 20 stories tall. You're way above all the trees. You're looking down. It doesn't feel that safe. It's just metal wires. There's no wall. There's a railing, but there's also these grates on the ground that just fall down. To the bottom of the floor yeah i'm gonna put a picture right here so you can visualize it better i've never seen one of these before but i also have never been out in the marshes so what do i know right so they think that he has fallen off this tall lookout spot and it's it's kind of eerie even when they get to the top it's a 360 degree balcony and you look out into ma the marsh and there's this giant hole in a part of the deck meaning yeah he definitely could have fallen by accident or by purpose or he could have been pushed Anyway, Chase Andrews, star quarterback no more, had fallen 63 feet to his death. Jeez. So maybe it's like 30 stories. No, S 60, wait. That's six stories. Six stories. Six, seven stories. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. but that's the tall. That's really tall. And it's yeah. not like a house where you feel secure. It's just stairs. Yeah. But the police are trying to figure out, did he want to fall or was he pushed? Mm. Based off a few pieces of evidence, the fact that there was a beam on the deck and there was parts of that beam that had blood and his hair embedded in it, it meant that he hit the back of his head on the way down. The only way to hit the back of his head while falling down is to fall backwards. Yeah. That plus the fact that his body was found laying on his back, that leads the police to believe that Chase Andrews had been pushed. He did not fall on his own, but there's no fingerprints on the railing or the beams, not even Chase Andrews' fingerprints. So not once, he didn't touch the grate. How did you he You mean open like it? the whole whole thing? Yeah. Even like going up? Yeah. What? Yeah, so did somebody wipe all the oh, fingerprints? Oh, that makes sense. Because yeah. not even Chase's Andrews, Chase Andrews' fingerprints are on there. So he fell by himself. Okay, interesting. I don't think so. So working off that, which is basically nothing, the medical examiner holds up a tiny little baggie and there's this piece of red fiber in there. And they tell the police, this was found on Chase Andrews' jacket. It doesn't belong to any of the clothes that he's wearing and whoever the killer was left some thread behind. And the police are going to find out who. Because this is the type of town where quarterbacks, if they are murdered, you're going to get justice. What are you mixing? Like flour and pumpkin puree. It's pretty much done now. Like I got all the floury parts. It's well incorporated. It has a soft Play-Doh consistency. It honestly <laughs> feels good. Now, this is also the type of town where everybody goes crazy when something like this happens. So you hear all the people at the local diner talking about who do you think killed Chase Andrews? What do you think happened? And one of the bar patrons, just a random town person is like i mean it just doesn't make sense you know beautiful wife happy family who would want to kill chase andrews he's married yeah mm. well come on now you know how chase was he wasn't an angel i'll tell you that oh don't speak ill of the dead what do you think happened frank now frank is a former police officer and he says oh um 
I don't know, it's been a while. I've been retired for a while, so I really want to know. A woman sits down at the bar with the guys, and she says, You know, it could have been that Marsh girl. She's a loony bin. I bet she would do something like this. And the waitress overhears and says, The Marsh girl? My brother always told me that girl down at the Marsh is the missing link in this case. Well, I'm telling you, it was her. And poor Chase Andrews had something going on in that Marsh. Wait. Are you suggesting that Chase Andrews and the Marsh Girl are... No! There's no way. There's no way. The rest of the patrons just shrug and they finish their dinner. But thankfully, the town is small enough that the two police officers that are having dinner in the same diner, those are the two police officers that are investigating Chase Andrews' death. So that's how they decide to investigate the Marsh Girl. See, in this town, there's almost like this urban legend of the Marsh Girl. And it's Kaya. It's the main girl of this story. She lives down in the marshes, and people almost liken her to like a feral kid. <laughs> she's what? like a teenager now, you know? She's like an adult now, but um, she's grown up in the marsh. That's all she's known. She's literally grown up in the marsh. Like, I'm not talking, oh, she lives in the suburbs and rides her bike to the marsh every day. She fucking lives in the marsh. Like, you have to take a boat to get to her house. She doesn't go to school. She lives barefoot in the marshes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay, okay. It's like a Tarzan girl moment. It's not one of those cute, like, I live in the woods. No, she fucking lives in the marsh, okay? They decide to investigate Marsh Girl. Great investigative skills. Just letting the bar patrons decide the next suspect for you. The next day, they head over to the house in the marsh. And to call it a house is kind of generous. It's like a sunroom in the middle of the marsh and a bedroom attached to it. And it feels dreamy it feels cozy there's seashells hanging as some sort of wind chime there's a collection of feathers out on the porch like the sunroom there's a mattress in the sunroom so the marsh girl sleeps in the sunroom she doesn't even sleep inside the house it feels really homey the police let themselves in and they're scanning the place when they hear a creak miss clark sheriff's department no response and through the window into the bedroom they see a red hat a wool red hat. They try the door and it opens with ease and they let themselves in and they grab it. And before driving off, we see Kaya is hiding behind a tree watching them and she looks petrified. She looks terrified. Now the movie makes it seem like almost immediately after or maybe days later, the police are looking for Kaya and they're looking hard. They brought out all their boats, they're trying to bring her in. So. I'm assuming that maybe the fibers on the hat match the ones that they found on Chase Andrews. Mm. Otherwise, why would they bring out all the speedboats to go hunting her down in the marsh just to question her? Mm -hmm. They spot her on her boat driving through the marsh. And when I say boat, like you might be imagining one of those things that you, you know, rent for vacation on Lake Lanier. That's haunted, by the way. No, it's not one of those boats. It's not even like a fishing boat. It's just a wood boat. So Kaya starts driving faster and faster and they're catching up and she decides to ditch the boat and tries to swim in the water to escape. But the police are quicker. They catch up to where she is and they block her in the water, drag her onto the police boat, throw her into the car, and she is under arrest for the murder of one of the most popular town citizens, Chase Andrews. Even when she's brought to the jailhouse, you can tell that the whole town loves him. They're all yelling at her that she's a murderer and that she'll pay for this and they're calling her Marsh Girl. Some are screaming, demanding an answer. Why did you kill him? She says nothing. She makes no eye contact and she falls asleep in her cell before being woken up by Mr. Tom Milton, her new attorney. 
Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Tom Milton does not look like a sleazy criminal justice attorney or someone that's overworked and won't give a shit about her case because, you know, they don't have the time to give a shit. He's actually this older man that looks a little bit frail, almost gentle. He has this very soft voice, southern, gray hair. He looks like he's heading into retirement, but he looks very kind. And he says, I know you've never been in trouble before, so I can explain the courtroom and the trial and who's who and whatnot. Do you have any family that you might want to come with you to be with you during this time? She doesn't even respond. She sits on her jail cell bed. Miss Clark, I don't know how to put this. Well, okay. I know you as Catherine Danielle Clark, but here in Barclay Cove, they don't call you by that name. They call you Marsh Girl. And when you stand on trial, you will be judged by your peers from here, Barclay Clove, that only know you as such, as, as Marsh Girl. They're gonna judge you whether they know you or not. But I, I can't help you unless I know you, even just a little bit. Silence. Well, all right then. I will come back in a while, while you've had time to consider everything. Oh, and I brought you this in the meantime. And he puts a book of seashells on the bed for her. It's a book about seashells, literally. And he's about to leave when she finally starts talking. So I think that this book really made her feel bonded to him. And um, she says, people forget about the creatures that live in the seashells. <laughs> They're called scallops. <laughs> exactly. They're called clams. Hey. And mussels. Hey, you're going to stress the vegans out, okay? Anyway, she said, I had a family once. They called me Kaya. And we get a little flashback to Kaya playing with her family in the little house in the marsh. They've got a chicken pen outside, chickens running around. Her mom was this beautiful woman that always had braided hair and stood in front of the house with, you know, the clothing lines. And they would just dry their clothes. Sometimes she would get a canvas and paint the marsh on her canvas and she would cuddle her kids and she would love on them all night, entertain them. They would hang out on the boat. They would wet their clothes. I mean, it was beautiful. It was dreamy. It is. I mean, it always is, right? Until the abusive husband slash father comes into the frame and starts yelling at the kids. At one point, because the kids are playing on his boat, he slaps Kaya so hard that she falls into the marsh. And her mom runs up trying to separate them, but he slaps her to the ground. And that night, Kaya covers her ears in her bed and cries all night because she can hear her father beating her mom. The sobs are coming from her mom are literally tearing her apart. And the next morning, Kaya watches from the window as her mom slowly walks off with a suitcase packed. She looks distraught. She looks dazed. She keeps screaming, Mom, Mom. She feels like she can't even hear her. And it's just not good because you know that she's leaving her kids with their dad. Mom was the first to leave. And then Kaya's older brother, Murph. Then Mandy and Missy, the two sisters. And then uh, Jody, her older brother, the one that Kaya was the closest with. All the kids ran out in the middle of the day or in the middle of the night. None of them were really old enough for college. Not that they went to high school, but none of them were really old enough to know what they were doing. They just could not live with their dad anymore. He was so abusive. Jody, her brother, told her, Kaya, I have to go. But listen to me, Kaya. If you're in trouble, you go hide in the marsh, deep in the marsh, where the crawdads sing, like Ma always said. Now it's just Kaya left. She said that she learned how to live with her dad. You just keep out of the way, don't let him see you, and that's the only way. 
And that's exactly what Kaya did. She would go out onto the boat all day, feeling the water in her hand. But sometimes she would get so lost, every turn looks the freaking same. She's about to burst into tears one day that she's out, and she runs into Tate. Now, Tate is Jody's friend, and he drove her all the way home. And the two, side by side, are in their boats, driving her home, and it's like this cute little scene. And Kaya said, Tate, there was just something about Tate. Something about him that eased the pain and the hurt and the tightness in her chest. So anyway, Kaya was going hungry. She was going very hungry. She had no means to get food at all. Her, all her dad did was buy some grits here and there, which is barely anything, and he spent all his money on alcohol. They went to a store that's on the marsh as well. They have to take your boat there and there's a little dock and they sell a bunch of mussels, they sell all the groceries for people that live in the marsh and um, we're just gonna call it the Mabel store because it's Mr. and Mrs. Mabel. That's not his name, her name is Mabel but he's just an extension of his wife. It's a black couple that own the store and I know that according to the book, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of underlying racist messages about race and about all of that but it's just kind of lost in the movie because i don't think they had enough time mm. or i don't know if they could really depict it well in the movie mm. it's just not as strong in the movie which i guess is disappointing right so the mabels they own this little store and they're really nice they're like the only father figure that Kaya's gonna have and um they go through the store and the dad just buys grits and the nice storekeeper mrs mabel tells kaya grits are not enough of a meal and she's packing up the bag and she said you know, you should try going to school. You get a free hot meal every day. And you know, they, tell, they write the school meal on the papers every single day. And she grabs the paper and she says, today, Salisbury steak. Doesn't that sound good? Now, Kyra looks down at her dirty feet. She has no shoes. And the storekeeper says, plenty of kids go to school without shoes. But you're going to need a skirt. Ask your mama to make you one. Kaya smiles and runs home. She has no mama. She doesn't want to go to school, but she's hungry. So she tries to fit into one of her old mom's, her mom's old dresses, puts a t-shirt on top, and walks into town so she could attend school. Listen, it was depressing. On her way to school, she almost gets run over by a boy named Chase Andrews on a bike. Huh. Girls called her dirty and gross, and only one man stopped to help her. Tom Milton, the lawyer. What? in a trench coat and a hat. Wait, so but this was years ago. When she was a baby, like a little kid. And he leans down, and she didn't know his name at the time, but he told her, it's okay, don't listen to them. You have every right to go to school as anyone else in this town. Now go on now, don't be late. So Kaya runs to her school, and uh, the teacher says, Kaya, or Catherine, let's introduce yourself to the class. Class, everybody, this is Catherine Clark. Now, Catherine, can you read and write yet? She nods. Okay. <laughs> then, Miss Clark, if you can spell dog. First of all, why is she asking in front of the whole class? That would give me so much social anxiety. And Kaya says, G-O-D. And the whole class just bursts into laughter, making fun of her, calling her Marsh Girl, Marsh Hen, just straight up bullying her. Nobody wants to sit with her. She has to walk all the way from the front of the class to the back with her head down and Wait, sits. Yeah. She spelled God? Yeah. Oh. Instead of dog. Huh. And she sits in the very I feel like back. that's kind of deep. That's what I'm saying. Like, and it's a southern town. What? Come on. They should have appreciated it. 
Okay, so I brush the Ritz cracker with some water. <laughs> and then I sandwich it. And I squeeze it. Mm. And then I roll it in sesame seeds. Oh, that's looking very good. It's very pretty. Look at that, you should be proud. Thank you so much. That's the much. most like presentable thing you've made on this <laughs> series in a while. Thank you so much, okay? <laughs> wow. So, anyway, Kaya has to sit at the very back of the class by herself because nobody wants to share their seat with her. Honestly, these kids are fucking bullies and they're all laughing at her, saying, ew, now the whole place smells like cooties because of her. Like, they're being rude. I mean, it was to the point where she ran out of class after five minutes. And that was the only day she spent in school. The teacher wasn't doing anything? Nope. The teacher was just like, come on now, kids, be nice. So, um, yeah, that was the only day that she ever spent in school. She said that the marsh was better off teaching her. And for a while, dad was good to Kaya. He gave her his old army knapsack because she was obsessed with collecting feathers. And she knew which bird every feather belonged to. Like, she could name the bird. She collected them all. She documented them. Like, it was very cute. So he gave her his old army knapsack thinking that she would appreciate it. But um, everything was ruined when they got a letter from mom. Kaya was so excited. She ran home with the letter and she said, Dad, Dad, we got a letter from Mom. And she's ready to rip it up, but he snatches it from her hand. And she's like, what does it say? What does it say? Does she say she's coming back? And she's trying to read it, but he's too tall and he's holding it away from her reach. Besides, she can't even read it, even if she wanted to. And he took one look and he burned the thing to the ground. And he scathingly told Kaya, your mom's never coming back. Forget her. Kai was so heartbroken that she gathered all the ashes from the letter being just burnt to ashes, burnt to shreds, and she kept them in this tiny little jar forever. And she said, um, from then on, Dad had an obsession with burning anything that reminded him of Mom. So every night, she would see these big bonfires in front of their house, and he would just burn her clothes, her books, anything that belonged to their mom, he would burn, every last bit of it. And after that, he disappeared. Kaya said she wasn't sad, you know, she didn't feel pain when he left. It wasn't like when mom left or even when Jody left. But it was just something about being completely alone. It was like this empty feeling. It was just so empty. Honestly, it's kind of fucked up. The mom and the brothers just left her. Yeah, why didn't they just take her? Yeah, it's just, come on, it's a little girl. You know she's gonna... Yeah. Now, um, it just felt like her heart was empty. That's how she describes it. But the worst part is, she was going really hungry. She really didn't know how to eat. All their canned food was out, all the grits was out. She had no money, she couldn't go to school, she had no way to get food. So, she starts going out and digging up mussels in the marsh. Every day before dawn, when the mussels were out, she would go and dig up the mussels. Wow. Now, she's not trying to eat the mussels because I don't think she can cook mussels. She doesn't know how. So she brings them to the shop Mr. and Mrs. Mabel's shop, oh. and she says, I hear you guys buy mussels. She's like a little seven-year-old. Oh. They tell her, we buy 40 pounds of mussels every two to three days. Now, I'm going to give you some money, and uh, we're going to fill up your tank every time you bring this much in. So she uses that money on food, and every morning before dawn, she went out digging up mussels. That's literally wow. her living for over a decade. 
and the shop owner's wife was the only one that seemed to have sympathy for Kaya. She knew what Kaya was going through, even though Kaya lied. Kaya would say, oh, dad's at home, mom's doing this. But she knew, Mrs. Mabel knew that her mom left a while ago, and her dad and all her siblings, they all left. That's why she's digging up mussels for food. The shop owner's wife offered to help find some donated shoes and clothes for Kaya from the church bins. She helped Kaya get some clothes. She gave her this beautiful pink dress that was way too big for Kaya, but she kept it forever. She thought it was pretty. It was like the fanciest thing that she owned. It was like this spaghetti-strapped pink dress and had like a almost like a tutu, and she just fell in love with it, little Kaya did, and um, she finally got some shoes. Now the shop owner's wife even tried to teach her how to read and write, but nobody just had time for it. Honestly, the shop wasn't doing that well either, because think about the racism in North Carolina at a time like this, you know? It wasn't good. And now that she was being charged with first-degree murder of Chase Andrews, all Kaya wanted was for her attorney to find Mrs. Mabel, because the shop had closed down. And that's all she wanted. So Mrs. Mabel moved away. I she guess. just want to see her again? Yeah. Because, you know, he was like, do you have any family? Uh. And they're looking for the Mabels. Mm. That's her family. Anyway, in court, when she's being indicted, you could see the class difference between Kaya and her donated dress and her outdated style. Meanwhile, the Andrews family, I mean, they're sitting front row looking posh. Literally, the mom is dressed like Audrey Hepburn style posh. Like, she just looks freaking rich. And when the court announced that the prosecutors were seeking the death penalty, what? Some of the annoying ass spectators, the high class, oh, I'm so fancy, racist people, were so happy. So happy. They were clapping that she was going to get the death penalty. They were cheering. Now, Tom, Tom Milton, the attorney, goes back to Kaya's cell with her after this. And, um, you know, he tells her, you can try to strike a deal. If you're willing to say that you went to the tower that night and met with Chase Andrews and you had a disagreement and in a horrible accident, he stepped backwards to the grate, you'll get 10 years, but you'll probably get out in six. Kaya said no, absolutely not. Okay, Kaya, but if we lose, we lose big. If we lose, we're talking life in prison or worse. Mr. Milton, I won't say anything that implies guilt. I will not go to prison. P please, call me Tom. And promise me you'll think about this deal. Yeah, but I'm not going to take it. And with that, he leaves. So we go back to court. I mean, it's just so depressing. The jury, they all look like Chase Andrews' family. Meanwhile, Kaya, she's lived out in the marshes her whole life. Who do you think the jury is going to relate to? The Andrews family, who lost their son, who looks like their neighbor, is their neighbor, who has shared life experiences with them, or Kaya, who is the marsh girl, like this unrelatable girl that lives in the marshes. They don't even know what she does all day. For all they know, she's like a feral child. No, really, that's how they feel. What does the jury even think of her? The prosecutor is pushing hard on this whole narrative that Kaya lured, lured Chase Andrews out to the tower and killed him. She even cleaned up her fingerprints afterwards and she had the time, she had the motive, and more importantly, she had weakness of character to murder Chase Andrews. He's pretty much saying- What's weakness of character? Like you're a bad person. Like your character's <laughs> not good. What? How yeah. do you know that? Exactly, because she lives in the marsh. Right? Oh, we're gonna bake it for 45 minutes, by the way. 45 minutes? Okay, I'm, I'm, let me just bake it. <laughs> like... Okay, let's bake it. Yay.
Now a word from our sponsors BetterHelp. I would like to make a very important announcement which is that I got 99 problems and um, I'm someone that doesn't like to solve her problems which is why I ended up with 99 problems in the first place. So yeah, I got 99 problems. And sometimes problems feel like these mountains that are so hard to climb that you just feel like, let me just ignore it, it'll go away. I just want you to take it from me and your future self, it does not just go away. Yeah, apparently not. It's like a mole on your back. You should get it checked out. And I think that's why everyone should try therapy. I think being a problem solver does not come naturally to most people and that's okay, but therapy can help you get better at it. Trust me, when I first started, I I had a hard time tackling my problem and solving my issues. I started feeling like stressed and overwhelmed and like I don't know how to solve any of this. I don't know how to do any of this. And now, now that I have like a system in place on how to start problem solving, I feel like kind of invincible. Clearly, I still have problems, don't get me wrong, but I just feel more confident and happier in the fact that I can solve it. And one of the best ways to try therapy, in my humble opinion, is through BetterHelp. BetterHelp therapy is convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online, which is great if you're traveling like we do, or maybe you live abroad, or maybe you're just kind of shy. I find it so much easier to talk to someone when I'm not face to face with them and who has time to sit through traffic to get therapy. You get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and you can switch therapists at any time. I love it because therapy in general, you just learn so much about yourself and about the patterns of thinking that your brain goes into and the only way to fix something that you don't like is to understand why you do it. That is why I have been obsessed with therapy and it's so rewarding. Honestly, when you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can help you get there. Visit betterhelp.com slash baking today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash baking. I'm a little chilly, okay? <laughs> so it's spooky season. Anyway, they're literally going so hard at freaking Kaya. I mean, straight up telling her that she's just a mean person, like a bad character. Meanwhile, Tom Milton has her write notes during court to stay calm because you can see that she wants to scream out, that she didn't do it, that she has nothing to do with it. So now it's Tom's turn to get up and address the jury. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, the state is going to throw a lot of words at you about Miss Catherine Danielle Clark, but I am asking you to look at the evidence that the state is offering up to back up those words. You will find that there is none. Furthermore, you will realize that there is a good chance that nobody murdered Chase Andrews and that the defendant, Miss Clark, finds herself in this position because it, it is easier to lay blame on an outsider than it is to rely on facts. And although she was born and she grew up five miles from this courtroom, Miss Clark is an outsider. And she was. So this book and the movie goes back and forth between the trial to the past. So we're going back to the past. Kaya was an outsider. After she grew up a bit, she started heading into her teenage years and she primarily lived in solitude. Like she had no friends. She didn't go to school. Her whole family was gone. She All she did was pick mussels before the sun came up, hung out in the marsh, drew pictures of all the insects and all the wildlife. She drew the most amazing pictures. She didn't know how to read or write, so all she did was learn about nature through nature and draw pictures. She was kind of terrified of running into anyone at the marsh, literally anyone. She would hide behind trees if she ever heard noises. She had just no trust in anybody. The marsh was safer when she was alone. But one day, she hears a noise. She sees the figure of a man and she gets so freaked out, she rushes off. But she cannot but wonder, like, what was that guy doing? 
So she emerges from the trees and sees that on like a tree trunk, someone had left her a feather. She collects feathers, remember? Then the next day, on the same tree stump, a feather and a box of seeds for tomatoes, potatoes, other vegetables, and a note. A note she can't read. But she's so excited, she runs back home to put the feather in her collection, and later she runs back out to see if someone had left something again, and she runs into the guy, leaving her the feathers. Oh, hi, it's uh, me, Tate, remember? Uh, Jody's friend? Remember the kid that helped her home? Yeah. Yeah, and now they're older. They're like in high school now. Oh. So that was when she was like seven, and now she's seeing him again at like 18. Okay. And Does she, he have like a crush on her or something? I don't know. We're going to find out. And she looks frozen in fear, but she comes out from behind the tree that she was hiding half her body on, and he hands her the feather that, she was, that he was going to leave behind for her. And she takes it hesitantly, and she hands him a feather from her pocket. He says, oh, a tundra swan. How do you know birds? My mom liked birds. Kaya takes out the note that he had left yesterday and says, I, I can't read your note. Oh. Oh, uh, all I said was I saw you when I was out fishing and it got me thinking that you could use some seeds and a spark plug and I had some extra, so I thought I figured I'd save you a trip to town. And I thought you might like feathers. All right, then. All right then, well, I better get going, so... And with that, Tate starts walking off. But then he turns around and says, I could teach you to read the note, if you want. So, with that, Kaya starts meeting Tate at the big willow tree, and he teaches her to read and write, like, three times a week. And it is the cutest little freaking romance. Like, Kaya is mind-blown at the fact that words can hold so much meaning, and Tate is mind-blown at how pretty Kaya is because <laughs> he's a teenage boy, okay? And honestly, it was emotional. I was tearing up. And Kaya says, we could read at my house sometime. And just like that, Tate comes over, and instead of being disgusted or turning his nose up at the Marsh house, he was amazed. Kaya had the most magnificent talent of drawing leaves, birds, feathers, anything. And they were all hanging up on the wooden walls. I mean, she was so good. So three times a week, he would come to our house, and they would read and write together. They went through the whole library. Both of them shared a passion for biology. Like, they loved it. They loved nature. They loved learning about all of these things. And they loved to read about how plants and animals change over time, how, how birds sing at dawn because the cool, moist air carries their songs further, how some cells divide and specialize into lung cells and heart cells, and others are stem cells. But none of those were the answers that Kaya wanted. I feel like she was trying to learn about biology because she had one question that pertained to biology that just was not being answered. Which is, how can a mother leave her offspring? And we see Kaya even being vulnerable in front of Tate, and as much as her dad was miserable to everyone, she said that she missed her family. She feels, she feels their lack of presence every single day, and she feels almost invisible. And he tries to comfort her. And um, that comfort makes him late to go see his dad. So his dad is a shrimp catcher. So he's on the boat waiting for Tate to help him. Sorry, Dad, I'm late. And he gets on the boat. And the dad says, Yeah, well, son, you know I don't listen to idle talk. But there's been word that you got something going on with that Marsh girl. You know you can tell me anything, right? She your girlfriend? And you're like, fuck, is he going to be one of those dads that we're going to hate? And Tate says, no, she's my friend. I bring her books because people in this town are so nasty to her, she can't even go to school and she doesn't have any family. 
hey, come on, there's no need to be upset. It's my job to ask you questions about things we don't feel comfortable talking about, and I can't give you all these things that these other dads can give you out here. So I'm just asking you to be careful, son. Everything you've worked so hard for, your dreams of going to Chapel Hill, life can change in a second, okay? Let's go fishing. So the dad is nice, but he still wants his son to go to college and follow the path that makes the most sense. And dating Marsh Girl and living in the marshes is not really part of his future plan. Anyway, Mr. and Mrs. Mabel, the shop owners, are living their life when a guy from town comes to gossip with him, a social worker. You know a young girl living on her own just like that? Just looks immoral, you know? What do you think? No, sir, I don't think that is... I don't think enough, <laughs> just ask my wife. So at this point, Mr. Mabel being black, he can't agree or disagree with the shop owner because if he agrees, then he's ultimately on Kaya and making her life hard. But if he doesn't agree, to not agree to a white social worker, like you're just asking for your life to be hard. Wow. You know, so he's literally digging, like putting himself down. Mm. I don't think enough, sir. <laughs> don't ask me for my opinion because you know, I don't think. And then the social worker says, you know, there's group homes that help young women in need. Keep them out of trouble. I heard she comes in here from time to time. Ah, yes, from time to time. But she's got her father with her. Well, I never see anybody home all the times I've been by. When does she usually come around? I never know. I just know when her boat comes in, sir. Will you have her call me when she comes in? Here's my card. And, um, They're trying to take the girl away? Yeah, because she's a minor. You don't have any reason to lie to me, do you, boy? <laughs> uh, he says, no, sir. No reason at all to lie to you, sir. And with that, the detective leaves. And we find out that he's working for social services and he's trying to put her in a group home because she's a minor. So the next time Tate comes over, she starts panicking. She rushes him out back and starts covering up their footprints with leaves. Why? She's like, they're trying to send me to a group home. I can't be mm. caught. You know, Kaya, a group home might not be the worst thing. Kaya's looking at him like shes he's fucking lost his mind. No, I'm not saying you, you should go. I'm just saying you would have someone cooking you, you know, warm, real meals and have a real bed. Well, I got a real bed. Besides, I would never leave the marsh to go live with strangers. Well, Kaya, you can't live in the marsh forever. Yeah, well, watch me. Then things are tense, and she just asks in a moment of silence, Tate, I appreciate you teaching me to read and all the things that you've given me, but why do you do it? Don't you have, like, a girlfriend or something? And he is trying to play chill, and he says, Sometimes I do. Sometimes? I mean, I've, I've had one, but not now. I don't have one right now. Anyway, let's get to the lesson of the day. I, I saw your dad's boat the other day. Seems real nice, your dad. But you never talk about your mom. What was she like? And Tate's entire demeanor changes. So it feels like Kaya was asking because she genuinely just wants to know what it's like to have a mom. And she's so excited and happy for him. And the minute that his demeanor changes, she feels really bad because she knows what it's like to have a sticky relationship with her mom. And she says, no, 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 I was just... Sorry, you don't have to say anything. No, it's okay. My mom and my little sister died in a car wreck when I was younger. My little sister's name was Carrie Ann, and it was, uh... What? It's okay, Tate. You can say anything to me. It was, uh... I th they went to Asheville. 
I think it, they were going to buy me my birthday present. There was this bike that I really wanted, and Western Auto didn't carry it, so I think they went to Asheville to get me that bike. And I don't even remember what kind of bike it was. At this point, both of them are crying because Tate feels like it's his fault that his mom and sister died, because he wanted a stupid bike. And um, she's comforting him, and they're about to kiss when suddenly there's a gush of wind that sends leaves flying in a circle, and they're dancing around in the leaves, and they kiss. And Kaya says, am I your girlfriend now? And he's like, I don't know, do you want to be? And she says, I know feathers. I bet the other girls don't know feathers. <laughs> and he says, all right then. All right then. And just like that, the two of them are dating. They're making out like a lot. Like a lot. Jesus. They're making out nonstop. I'm already like gonna cry because you just know when it's too happy, things are gonna go south. They're spending their days picnicking, reading, baking each other birthday cakes. Which, side note, Tate gave her a birthday cake, but she didn't even know it was her birthday because she doesn't even own a calendar. And they're spending all their days swimming in the marshes and going to the beach and while they're picnicking, eating birthday cake, a swarm of snow geese come down and start flocking the water. Tate had it all planned out. And it was a long trip, but it was worth it because they were beautiful. And uh, in that beautiful moment, they get naked. And they start almost doing it on the picnic blanket. And it's oddly romantic, but they don't actually do it because Tate stops. And it's kind of weird. His explanation was, I want you more than anything, but it's more dangerous for you. So it seems like that southern thing of like not losing your v-card or whatever mm -hmm. but anyway it's just weird so summer gives to fall fall to winter winter to spring the only constant in kaya's life is that seasons change and with that tate gets into chapel hill he gets into his dream college and he's jumping up and down celebrating with his dad but there's one person who's not going to be as happy and it's kaya and she notices that he's not happy one day and she says why are you quiet? Kaya, I'm going away soon. To college. I know. We talked about it. But when? Soon. I got a job at the biology lab, and it starts next week, so... Why don't you stay here? And do what, Kaya? And Kaya looks kind of hurt by that, so she gets up and starts walking off. I, I mean, there's no work for me here, Kaya. Like, I, I don't want to be a shrimper like my dad. I gotta go and get a degree so I can be something, Kaya. And so could you. And Kaya looks even more offended, like he's not happy with who she is now. And she's like, what do you want me to be? No, that's not what I meant. You're never going to come back. I just know it. Yes, I will, Kaya. I, I will never leave you. I will come back for you, Kaya. I promise. Okay, listen. Kaya obviously has clear abandonment issues. Like, just think about it. Even without her past experience of everyone, every single person, her mom, her sisters, her two sisters, her two brothers, and her dad abandoning her in the marsh. I mean, even without that, it's a big deal when a partner goes off for a new job or college because... I mean, you feel like they're going to move on and do bigger and better things and they're going to leave you in the dust. So Kaya feels like that, but worse. And her way of solving a problem is what she does every time she and Tate get into a fight, which is she physically runs away, like in a little zoom. She literally zooms off in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> like, it's kind of cute, but kind of not. I bet it's really frustrating. No, anyway, she runs straight home that night and Tate comes over and she opens the door and he says, just one more night. And they cuddle on the little sun sunroom. So it's like all screens, right? Mm -hmm. And it has a little door. And they cuddle on the mattress. And the next morning, he kisses her goodbye. And he has a note for her. 
It's a list of publishers. For what? For all your drawings and pictures? There's nothing out there like that, Kaya. There's enough material for a book, lots of books. And you know, you wouldn't even have to leave home. You just mail your samples into the publishers, bring in some money, probably not a lot, but maybe you don't have to dig muscles for the rest of your life. But they're both crying now because it just feels like the end. You're gonna forget about me when you get busy with all that college stuff and those pretty girls. I can never forget about you, Kaya, ever. I'm gonna be home in a month for the 4th of July, okay? I'll be back before you knew it. We'll meet on the South Beach watching fireworks together. Just write those publishers in the meantime, okay? And they share one last embrace before he drives off in his boat. And she stands on the edge of the marsh in a white dress, watching her love drive off. Was it sad? It was sad, okay? And in her free time, back to solitude she goes, just drawing birds and animals and feathers, and she has a calendar that he gave her, and the 4th of July is circled on it. And that day comes, and she rushes out to the beach in her fanciest dress. Remember that pink dress that she couldn't fit into that Mrs. Mabel gave her? Well, that's her dress. She saved it. She braided her hair like her mom used to have. She even found an old lipstick from her mom's and she put it on. And she rushed out with her little book, her little journal that she's drawing in to meet with Tate. <sighs> Can you guess what happened? The motherfucker doesn't show up. Like, come on. Like, like, just show up and say I can't do it anymore. Like, why abandon a girl yeah. that clearly has abandonment issues? <sighs> and she watches daytime go to nighttime, and in the night she watches the fireworks alone and falls asleep, oh. and when she wakes up in the morning, she realizes he didn't come back for her, and it's just another person that abandoned her. And in anger, she goes home and rips up all her drawings, well, the ones that she recently drew, and throws them into the fire. And she says... Tate and life and love had been the same thing and they were all gone now and then Kaya woke up one morning and said and then the pain was gone well the burning pain was gone I mean the pain was still there but it didn't feel as fresh and then we get back to the court trial the police are on the stand testifying how there are no fingerprints anywhere not even on the grate where someone would have had to open it in order for Chase Andrews to fall down all this indicated is that someone had destroyed all the evidence. Tom Milton tries to argue that the absence of footprints does not suggest a crime because the tides, by the time that Chase Andrews and whoever he was with, because you cannot say that he was alone, he might have been alone, he might have been with friends, he might have been with someone else. And by the time that the police went there, it was high tide, all the footprints would have been gone. Isn't that right? I mean, police officer, are you really suggesting that the absence of footprints indicates a crime? Not by itself. It does not indicate a crime. Well, you also testified that there were no fingerprints found anywhere at the fire tower, including on the open grate. This led you to conclude that someone opened the grate and wiped away the fingerprints afterwards. Correct. But isn't it true that these grates were left open so often and considered so dangerous that your office submitted a written request to the U.S. Forest Service to remedy the situation? Here is a copy of that request. Who wrote this, Sheriff? And he takes the piece of paper. I did. Well, could you read the last sentence to the court? I must repeat, these grates are very dangerous, and if action is not taken, a serious injury or death could occur. Thank you, Sheriff. And with that, the courtroom bursts into whispers. Is the attorney just really, really good? Yeah. Wow. Now, back to the past. Kaya runs into the Mabel shop, and she's panicked. Someone's been taking pictures of my house. What do you think they want? 
Mr. and Mrs. Babel, this is like when she's a teenager, and they say, developers, they've been up and down the marsh all last week taking pictures, talking about how they want to drain the murky swamp and build hotels. I saw them last year, too, cutting oak and digging channels. You think they want my house? Maybe not the house, but I bet they'll offer a heap of money for that land. And Mrs. Mabel goes, honey, what? I'm just saying, nothing wrong with some money going to Kaya, is there? But in all seriousness, Kaya, you do own that land, don't you? You own that house? Well, well Pa said so. Well, you're going to need some proof. A deed, a title. And with that, she walks out the store. And she's thinking about going to, like, a record keeper, right? And there's a frat boy just waiting for her. Well, not a frat boy. He's dressed like a prep school boy. Blue collar dress shirt, rolled up to the elbows, boat shoes, khakis, hair gelled back. Very prim and proper. Can I take that for you? Your bag of groceries? No, it's okay. I got it. But he insists. And he takes the bag and brings it to her boat and says, You're Kaya, right? I like the name. It's a beautiful name. Unique. Sets her things down on her boat. Uh, do you want to go for a picnic on my boat this Sunday? I will pick you up at noon from the Twin Beach. Does that work? Sure. All right. I'll see you, Kaya. It's weird. The whole thing is weird. Even Chase Andrews' boat is weird. It's like a Tiffany blue color. The newest of the boats, I'm sure. And it doesn't even look like a wooden boat. It looks like a speedboat. So he's, like, coming after her, like, from the get-go. Yeah, and it seems like he's just trying to sleep with her, honestly. Oh. It's, like, the vibe that I got from the get-go. It's just not good vibes. Like, there can only be one good love story in a movie, so I'm just saying, it's not going to be Chase Andrews, right? Because he's dead. In the meantime, Kaya heads to the records office, where she learns that the property is hers. However, she owes about $800 in back taxes. And the way that the law works is that even if somebody else pays the back taxes, whoever pays the back taxes first on the property will get to own the land. <laughs> like it's been that long since they paid taxes on the land. So Kaya rushes home and starts submitting her work to the publishers. It had been five years. Five years since Tate had given her that paper. Wow. And she was finally sending letters to the publishers. And she goes on her date with Chase Andrews, and he plays the harmonica in front of her, but um, a seashell washes ashore. And she's like, oh my god. And he knows nothing about seashells herberts or anything and she tries to explain it to him like this is really special because this seashell doesn't show up on this shore it's usually on the other side because that's where they inhabit and he's laughing mm -hmm. what no it's just marsh girl knows the latin name and where seashells inhabit for christ's sake you're something what? ain't you and he calls her marsh girl to her face what the f so i think the way that like the feeling that i got initially was that Chase wants to sleep with her because uh -huh. she's novel. She's different from all the girls at school and like the different from the crowd mm. that he hangs out with. So it's almost like, oh, guess what? I f***ed Marsh girl. Like that's the vibe he's giving me. Mm. So he's like, you're something else, ain't ya? And he leans in over to make out with her and like, it just doesn't feel right. He's way too mm -hmm. forceful, just trying to sleep with her on the first date. And she pushes him off and she says, I know you think I'm trash, but I'm worth more than a picnic. And she starts storming off. And he's like, oh, no, Kaya, no. I never thought you were trash. Please, I'm sorry. I understand if you want to go, but please. You can't walk from here. It's too far. Please, can I just make it up to you? So Chase takes her to the fire tower to make it up to her. But it's terrifying. The heights, she doesn't like it. The open grates, which Chase does close. But it just makes her nervous anyway. And Kaya looks pensive up there. 
What is it? What are you thinking about? You can tell me. I won't laugh at you, Kaya. And she's looking at the marsh and she says, It's like having a friend your whole life and you never really saw your, their full face until now. Your house is over there, isn't it, Kaya? Take me there. Oh, it's far. I like far. I don't care what it's like if that's what you're worried about. So he takes her to the home, and I think that she thinks that he's just going to drop her off. But he gets out of the boat and is like, I like it. How long have you been living out here by yourself? And he goes into the sunroom, and she's like trying to stop him, and he's touching her feathers, and she feels very like, what the f*** are you doing in my space, dude? And he's just like, 10 years, neat. Living out here without your parents? Without your parents telling you what to do? Sounds good. And then just like that, he starts walking into the house. Even though she clearly doesn't want him to. She's trying to stop him, but he's insisting. And he just walks in, bulldozing past her. And he sees all her drawings. What's all of this? Nothing? You writing a book or something? Sort of. Well, these look straight out of, like, an encyclopedia. And he's just looking at all of her stuff. And she's trying to cover it up and clean up. And she's just over it. At one point, she stops and she's like, you know what? What do you want with me? Look, I just feel bad coming on like that, and I just want to get to know you better. I think you're gorgeous, Kaya. I really do. I think you're as free as a dang gale and smart as a whip. What? Yeah, but I won't do anything unless you want me to. How's that? That's fine. And from there, they went on a few more dates, and Kaya said that she didn't really know how to feel about Chase. But at least she was no longer lonely, so that was enough. But it was kind of like a secret. Like, she could never say hi to him in town, she once ran away to the other side of the street because she saw Chase giggling with his posh friends and one of them gave her a dirty, upturned nose look. So the next time he came to visit her, she asked, Tell me about your friends. Oh, I don't really have any. Well, it seems like they're always having a great time when you're with them. You're spying on me? Funny. My dad pwned me once. He had something to drink and got into a fight with my mom and he told me that if my friends really knew me, they wouldn't be my friends. Yeah, I don't know if anyone really knows me, is what I'm saying, I guess. Wow, a moment of weird vulnerability from Chase Andrews that literally made no sense. <laughs> what does that even mean, dude? I don't even know. He tries to divert the conversation, though, and he's like, you know what makes the sky blue? Yeah, blue and violet wavelengths from sunlight, they bounce off the gas particles in the atmosphere and they scatter. And he says, is it okay if I kiss you now? And they share a kiss. And then we go back to the trial. The prosecutor says, let's turn to the red wool fibers that were found on Chase Andrews' body the night that he died. The medical examiner is on the stand. Yes, the fibers from the wool cap and the jacket matched identically. Right, and where was the cap found? In Miss Clark's residence. Now it's Tom Wilton's turn. Now about the fibers, is there any way to determine how long they were on Chase's jacket? No. So if someone wore this hat often, is it possible that the fibers would be on their hair or on their clothes? I guess I suppose. So it could be that during any time, during any of the years that Miss Clark knew Chase Andrews, that the fibers of her hat could have transferred onto his jacket? From what I've seen, yes. At any time that they met? Yes. So we go back to the past. Kaya and Chase are going on more dates and she gets a letter. Dear Miss Clark, we were fascinated by your manuscript. If, as you say, your materials are already complete, we hope to edit and publish in record time. 
So Kaya goes on a date with Chase, excited to tell him the news, and he's excited too. He shows up at her door with a six-pack of beer, and he says, you're looking at the new manager of Western Auto. Come on, let's celebrate. So they're out on the beach drinking, and Chase is primarily drinking a ton, and he seems a little bit salty about Kaya's work being published. I mean, genuinely seems like the type of dude that would be upset if his wife made more money than him. <laughs> and he's like swigging his beer, and he's like, just don't get too full of yourself, I guess. What? I would never. Kaya, I know people have disappointed you, like being left by your own family. I mean, my family's a pain in the ass, but I don't think I could take that. But I want you to know that I'm going to take care of you. Now that I've been promoted, I can get you a nice house when we're married. Married? <laughs> yeah, a nice two-story with a, on the beach with a wraparound veranda. Yeah, nice house. And Kai laughs. What about your parents? Have you told them about me? You gotta understand something about my folks. If I say you're my choice, that'll be that. They'll fall in love with you when they get to know you. And they're cuddling, but something just feels off. And he says, by the way, I have to drive over to Asheville in a few days to get some stuff for my dad. I thought you could come. We could celebrate your book. Oh, there's going to be um, lots of people. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. You're going to be with me, and I know everything. Hell, you don't have to talk to one soul if you don't want to. Come on, if we're going to get married, you got to get out in the world a bit. Spread those wings of yours. It'll be fun. It's a two-day job, so we can stay the night. And the whole thing is just a freaking disaster, okay? They're in his car jamming out to the loudest music of my life, and you can totally tell that Kaya is getting a raging headache because the girl does not listen to 96.4 FM constantly. And they check into a local seedy motel, and Kaya does not look comfortable, but he tells her, come on, it's an adventure, come on. And of course, he's taking off her clothes the minute they get into the hotel room. And um, Kaya's into it, kind of. It seems like she's a bit more hesitant, but it seems consensual, right? She's not saying no, she just seems very nervous. And they do it for two seconds, and it's not fun. It's painful and short. At least it's short, right? And he finishes literally in two seconds. So um, it was very unceremonious. It was definitely not like all the moments that she had with Tate. It was the opposite of that. On top of that, she looks disappointed. He rolls over in bed and he says, he has the audacity to say this. He says, it'll feel better for you later the more you do it. <laughs> okay. Hey, I never want to lose you, Kaya. Yeah? Yeah, I think about it a lot. Sneaking out to come in the night to see my little marsh girl. Nobody knows, nobody sees, nobody knows but me. <laughs> and you don't have to prove yourself to anyone, you understand? You have me and I love you. Kaya looks like she doesn't want to say I love you back. So she just says, um, I made you something. And she goes to her suitcase and pulls out the shell that they got on their first date. The one that she had schooled them about. And she put it on a thread and made it into a necklace. Chase wore it every day and it would become a topic in court. His mom took a stand and she said, it was a shell necklace on a raw hide and it's missing. The prosecutor says, so you're telling me the necklace Chase wore every single day was missing from his possession. Yes, I think it's important. He had his necklace on when he had dinner with us at night and it was gone from his body when he was found and he never took that necklace off. So whoever took it must have killed him. And Miss Andrews, where did Chase get that necklace? From that Marsh girl, Miss Clark. I didn't even know her name or if she even had one. 
I can't see why Chase... Anyway, what I'm saying is, she's the only one that would have any interest in taking that damn thing. Mrs. Andrews, were they romantically involved? Chase and Miss Clark? You could say that. I saw him sneaking out at night, and when I finally asked him where he was going, he told me the truth. I thought, what would people say? I was a silly, worried woman worrying about what the neighbors would think, but he told me he had broken it off with her, and she knew she couldn't have him. So she killed him and took back that ugly necklace. Let me just say, Mrs. Andrews is really ugly in court, okay? The courtroom was chaotic for a moment before Tom Milton went to cross-examine her. Mrs. Andrews, you have my deepest sympathies, but with all due respect, you are aware that Miss Clark's house was thoroughly searched and that the police did not find the necklace, did they? No. Back to the past. One day, Tate comes back to the marsh. This is like five years later, after he's graduated from college, okay? Only to see Chase Andrews on his boat, going around Kaya's boat, making waves for her, and she's like giggling on the boat and stuff, and it was kind of a cute moment. So Tate looks confused and depressed, which like, bro, why are you f***ing depressed? You were gone for like a decade? Why are you so shocked that she's moved on? Yeah. Anyway, he goes to the store, the, the Mabel store, with a fuzzy red hat on. What? Like a fuzzy red hat, the one that's in evidence. Okay. And he runs into Chase Andrews, who's talking to his friend. And the friend's like, what's that marsh girl like in bed? And he what? says, wild as a bobcat, worth every bit of gas money. And Tate hears this and he's pissed. And he says, is it like the legends? Do her eyes actually glow? Because they think she's like half animal, so her eyes glow. Oh. And uh, Chase says, only for me and only when I make them. And Tate turns around, he drops his groceries and says, hey, don't talk about her like that. First of all, Tate, like... Yeah. Fucking, fucking I don't think Tate. you have the rights to even, like... Yeah. Exactly. You know, like, dude. I don't know which one I hate more. Definitely Chase, but still. And he says, I said, don't talk about her like that. And Chase looks him up and down and says, oh, the college boy. He's the one that taught her her ABCs. And his friend starts giggling. <laughs> and Tate says, you're a waste of her fucking time. Chase gets up in Tate's face and says, Go ahead, college boy. What you gonna do? Chase rips off Tate's hat and they start fighting. Mr. Mabel and the friend break up the fight and Mr. Mabel gives Tate his hat back and says, Hey, come on. Almost as in, like, you're better than this. And that night, Kaya's getting ready for Chase to come over and she rushes to the door when she hears the boat come. But when she gets out, it's Tate. And immediately she starts throwing rocks at him. And she's like, get out of my lagoon, you low down, dirty fucking creep. And he's like, no, Kaya, please. I just need to talk to you, please. I don't care what you want. I never want to see you here ever again. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I want to talk to you about Chase. Chase? He's not good enough for you. You're the one that left me. Who didn't come back when you promised? Who never came back? You didn't even write to explain or say that if you were alive or dead, you just fucking disappeared. Mm -hmm. I know, and I'm so sorry. Kaya, you have no idea. You weren't man enough to face me. You're right, Kaya. Everything you say is true. Leaving you was like the worst thing I've ever done. Worst thing I'll ever do in my life. I know how badly I hurt you, and I couldn't face you. Like I said, I never thought you would leave the marsh or live in any other world, you know? I thought I had to choose between you and everything else, but, but the truth is, everything else that I thought mattered, the, the scholarships, the grants, the degree, the jobs, nothing 
it was nothing without you. And I was so wrong, and I've been so, so wrong and so sorry for years, and I'm going to be sorry for the rest of my life. And she's not having it. And he pulls something out of his pocket and hands it to her. A feather. She grabs it. You know, I've been working at the new lab near town, and you would love it. You could study all of this under a microscope and see everything in detail. And I, I'm here now. I'm back for good, Kaya. And I would do anything just, just to do things differently. She's like, what do you want? Is there anything, is there any way you could possibly forgive me, Kaya? I don't know how. And with that, she runs back into her house and watches him leave. Back in prison, in present time, Tom Wilton tries to question Kaya on if she knows anyone, anyone at all, that would have reason to harm Chase. The fight? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. No one. Back to the past. Kaya goes to the store to buy some food to celebrate with Chase later on. You know, she got good news from the publisher. But while she's out, she runs into Chase, who's with his friends. And he looks like he just shot himself. Uh, Kaya, these are my friends. One of them is like, sure, Kaya, the marsh girl, right? Nice to meet you. And one of the girls puts her arms around Chase, and she seems really nice. And she says, nice to meet you. I'm Pearl, Chase's fiance. What? And with that, Chase says, um, I'll see you around, Kaya. And they walk off. And Kaya runs home and is about to gag when she hears the boat sound. So she runs out and hides. And she watches with fear in her eyes as Chase is screaming, Kaya! I just need to talk. I know you're in here, damn it. And he's like, really, like, this guy is going to be her dad 2.0. Like, you can definitely tell. Like, he's the one that fucked up, but he's getting mad that she's hiding from him. And he's like, banging on the door like, I just need to fucking talk. I just want to explain, damn it. And he's kicking things, stomping on the doors. Like, dude, he seems to have a very violent streak. So Kaya is not only terrified, but she's heartbroken. And it's just really bad. So she thinks it's going to, you know, kind of pass. He's going to move on with Pearl, and that will be that. It's a weird, messy breakup. She gets a package one day, and it's her books and a letter. Dear Miss Clark, enclosed is the final copy of your beautiful book, along with the initial check for delivery. We would love for you to join us in Greenville next month to celebrate this big accomplishment. And it was a $5,000 check, which meant that Kaya had enough for the taxes on the house and for electricity and for some new furniture, and she's getting used to this beautiful house. She's really turning it into her house. And then her brother shows up. He's a police officer now. And he says, I mean, there I am in Asheville, and I see your book in a shop. Catherine, Catherine Danielle Clark. And my heart just broke and leapt for joy all at once. I mean, I knew how to find you. I didn't know you would still be here, though. And he looks around, and the house is like an updated, modern version now inside with the money from the book. What about the others, Jody? I don't know. I wouldn't know him if I passed him on the street. And what about Ma? Ma passed away, Kaya. She had a sister, Rosemary. Rosemary found me in the army and told me what happened. Ma showed up to her house one night and didn't talk for three months, not a single word. And a year later, she remembered that she had children. It's like she was so traumatized, she went into her shell. Rosemary helped her write a letter to Pa, asking if she could come get all of us. And he told her if she so much, if she so much wrote us again or contacted us, he would beat all of us until we were unrecognizable. That sounds like him. She saved up for lawyers and everything. And then she got cancer. I think that she tried. Yeah, but she never really had a chance. 
I've been waiting all these years for her to walk down the lane. Kaya, look, you didn't have a family your whole life, and there's nothing I can do to give that back to you, but I would love to come see you as much as I can if that's okay. Yeah, I, I would like that. And with that, he leaves. And Kaya goes to the store, Mr. and Mrs. Mabel's store, to give them a copy of her book, and they proudly display it on their front shelf. Mr. Mabel says Miss Mabel is going to be so proud. <laughs> and um, she says, just one more thing. And she hands him a package. Inside is a book for Tate. And she had written to the feather boy from the Marsh Girl, a signed copy of her book. If you could just give it to him when you see him. And he nods. And Kaya goes to hide when Chase Andrew walks in. She tries to hide and leave, but he catches up to her at the door and grabs her arm. And she tells him, just leave me alone. And one of his friends sneakily laughs and says, look, even Marsh Girl thinks she's too good for him. And Chase lunges at him and screams, shut up, in his face. And to calm the whole situation down, Mr. Mabel gives him the food on the house. And later, Chase finds Kaya drawing on the beach and he says, thought I might find you here. I just wanted to say sorry for how everything turned out. How things turned out? You mean how it turned out that you were engaged the whole time that we were together? How it turned out that you lied to everybody? No, but you know I have to do things I don't want to do. I have to get married to someone like Pearl. I have to. But you're the one I really want. And he tries to kiss her, but she's not having it. And he's pissed. And he says, you know, any other man would have tried to fix you, change you. And I never did. Kaya just ignores him and tries to leave, but he stops her. Please, I really need you. I really do. Nobody else knows me like you do. Please. What's his deal? I don't know. Dude is weird. And Kaya says, you know, I feel sorry for you. But I want nothing to do with any of that. And he punches her in the face. And so she punches him right back in the face. And she tries to leave, but he punches her on the ground and he rapes her. And he says, come on, Kaya, you belong to me and I'm not letting you go this time. And he says, you're wilder than ever, aren't you? Wow. Whoa. That okay. looks kind of cool. It looks very cool. Okay, really bad timing to be excited. She manages to get a rock and slams it onto his face and kicks him. And she screams, leave me alone, you bastard. You come near me again and I'll kill you. And just like that, we're in present time, in court, where a witness had heard Kaya scream that and was now testifying. The prosecutor asked, do you recognize the woman now? Yes, it's the one there, the defendant, the one that folks call Marsh Girl. And we go back to the past. So Kaya goes back home to pack a bag. She said she finally understood why her mom had to leave. Because she was terrified. She said um, she went out to her boat trying to fall asleep. Falling asleep on her boat in the marsh. And um, she's paranoid, terrified. She was scared. Because the one thing that she learned from her dad was, men like that, they always need to have the last punch. When she gets back home, her entire house is trashed. Her artwork has been trashed. And she said being isolated is one thing and living in fear is another. And she will never live like that again, wondering when the next fist is gonna fall. So Kaya spent most of her days outside hiding with a rock, and one night she hears a boat whir up, and it's taped. She's like, I need you to leave, not now. I just wanted to check on you, Kaya. What happened to your face? Was it Chase? I need you to stay out of it. I need you to go. That son of a bitch. I need you to go. And he tries to come closer to touch her face where she's bruised and she recoils. And she says, you know, 
I was supposed to go to Greenville next week. I was supposed to finally meet my publishers, talk about my next book, and I was finally brave enough to leave. You can still go. Looking like this? Don't let him ruin this for you, Kaya. It'll be easy. There's a bus. Uh, Mr. Mabel can show you. They, they let them put you in a nice hotel, eat some hot restaurant food that you don't have to make. Stay a week if you can. And I'll come see you when you get back. You'll be safe with the publishers. She thinks about it and she says, all right. She looks scared, so I don't know why Tate just left her, but he did. But before he left, he gave her his hat. The red wool hat. And with that, we're back to present time in court, where Tate and Mr. and Mrs. Mabel come to support Kaya. And Kaya seems more nervous. Mr. and Mrs. Mabel know that Kaya is innocent, I'm assuming, because in the past, there was an incident where she went to the store asking Mr. Mabel for the bus schedule. And he says, you want to tell me what happened to your eye? I just need the bus schedule. Kaya, look at me. It was that chase boy, wasn't it? Look at me. You look at me, and you tell me what he did. Nothing. It's over. I just want him out of my life. But how do we know that he won't come after you again? You're all by your lonesome out there. Please. Shh. Please. You can't tell anyone. You know how it is. They'll drive me to the sheriff's office, make me tell my story in front of a bunch of men, and they'll write about it in the papers, and they'll accuse me of being a whore, accuse me of trying to get money from his parents. They're not going to do anything about it. You're right, Kaya. I won't do anything to make it worse for you. But you gotta tell me where you're coming and going. I gotta know if you're out of town, because if I don't see you for a while, I'm gonna start thinking. And he starts to tear up, and she promises that she's gonna come see him right when she gets back. And you can tell that he just really cares about her. Anyway, back to the present. Another citizen is on the stand as a witness. I saw Marsh Girl that morning. We all talked about it. She was getting on the bus. We had never seen her like that. Combed up, cleaned up. Tom says, so just to be clear, the morning of October 29th, you and several others saw Miss Clark boarding the 9 a.m. bus and leave Berkeley Clove. Yes, that's right. Then that's all. The prosecutors argued that she never saw her come back, so how did she know that she didn't come back that night to kill Chase Andrews? Just because she left town that morning doesn't mean that she didn't make it back in town to kill him that night. So that led to Tom forcing one of the publishers into the courtroom as a witness. Mr. Foster, you sat down for dinner that night at 7 p.m. in Greenville, correct? Yes. And what was your first impression of Miss Clark? My first impression was that she was very, very smart, very shy, very gentle. I knew that she, had some, she was something of a recluse, but um, she was a naturalist. And how long did the dinner go on? A few hours? And when you met with Miss Clark the next following morning, was there anything unusual or strange about her appearance or her demeanor? No. Hmm. Now it's time for the prosecutors, whose whole argument was, "Well, Mr. Foster, you didn't stay on the same—you didn't stay at the same hotel as Kaya, so how would you know if she didn't come back home to murder Chase Andrews and come back the next morning?" And now Tom Wilton is in the jail cell trying to encourage Kaya to go on the stand. He thinks once they know her, they'll see her for who she is. I know you have a million reasons to hate them. I never hated them; they hated me. They laughed at me, they harassed me, attacked me, and you want me to beg for my life? I don't have it in me, and I won't. I will not offer myself up so that they can make their decision. They're not deciding anything about me. They're judging themselves. All right. Mr. Wilton, you've always been kind to me, even as a child. I never forgot. 
And with that, Tom Milton walks through the town to prep his closing statements. And Tom finds, and he looks, he runs into Tate. He doesn't run into him, but he looks at Tate. He sees him from afar. And he just has a moment. Because there is someone. Who has someone motive. Else. As motive. Someone who has motive to take the shell necklace, to kill him. It just kind of makes sense. Like, why did he leave Kaya that night when she was obviously in danger? He's encouraging her to go meet mm-hmm. with the publishers, and then he died the night that she met with the publishers, like, left town to meet with the publishers. Mm-hmm. Now, Tom's closing statement started, and he said, I have lived in Barkley Cove my whole life. And like you, I've heard the tall tales told about the Marsh Girl. That she was part wolf, that she was half ape, half human, that her eyes glowed in the dark. Well, here she is. The reality is, she was an abandoned child. A little girl surviving in the marsh alone, reviled and shunned. Mr. James Madison and his wife Mabel. They are sitting in the courtroom today, and they are about the only people in this town that showed her any care. And the rest of us... Well, I'm ashamed to say that we labeled her, we rejected her because we thought she was different. And now the job of judging this shy, rejected woman falls on your shoulders, but you must make your assessment based on the facts and evidence presented in this courtroom and not on the rumors or the feelings from the past 25 years. Miss Clark has a solid alibi. She was in Greenville when Chase Andrews died and the facts that stand against her, the state can't even prove that this was murder and not some tragic accident. The state wants you to believe that she caught a bus back from Greenville in a disguise because not a single person had seen her. Neither bus drivers could even identify her as a passenger. So she gets back and in less than an hour, she tracks down Chase Andrews in the middle of the night, lures him to the tower, murders him, wipes away all the evidence, then catches a bus back without again a single witness seeing her. And again, after doing all of that, she meets with her publishers unruffled the next morning. These are not facts. These are more tall tales about Miss Clark that we as a town have been spreading about her. It's time at last for all of us to be fair to the Marsh Girl. The jury went into deliberation and it took a really long while, but they were finally ready. We, the jury, find the defendant not guilty. And the courtroom erupts into chaos again. And Kaya falls back into her chair in tears, and she goes straight to Mr. and Mrs. Mabel and hugs them. The publishers tell her to forget this nonsense, and they're looking forward to her next book. Kaya holds Tate's hands and asks her brother to take her home. But before she goes, she smiles once more at Tom Milton and leaves the room. And when she gets home, her entire house is cleaned up again. Uh, She wasn't out on bail, so she hasn't been home in the marsh all this time. She finds a feather and a note from Tate. And she hoped that now, she wished she could share the marsh with the only person she ever truly loved, Tate. So she sees him in the marsh collecting samples for the bio lab that he works at, and she leaves a feather at his workstation. And um, the next day, he comes to the house, and they finally do it on the porch. And it feels like the world is right again. And that morning, he asks her, will you marry me? And she says, well, aren't we already married, like geese? So not like contractually married, but like geese live together and they have a little family unit. (laughs) And he says, I guess I could live with that, I guess. (laughs) And then we see a time lapse of the shop owner putting out more and more books of all of Kaya's latest releases. And we see a montage of her living her best life with Kaya, meeting Jody's kids, 
and still living in that little house and going on the boat. Tate is working at the bio lab. She's writing more and more books and we, all, we watch as she goes to the funerals for Mr. and Mrs. Mabel. And finally, Kaya is an old woman, a grandma with white hair. And she sneaks out in the middle of the night because she doesn't want Tate to see her. And she passes away on the boat from a heart attack. She died? From old age. The next morning, Tate cries as he finds her body. But they're like, they die of old age, you know? And he starts packing up all her things, all her journals and her shells and her feathers. Not because he's trying to leave the marsh, he's going to stay in the marsh, but he's going to send them to um, Chapel Hill for their conservatory. Because, mm. you know, it's all really good stuff, right? And um, as he's cleaning through, he finds a journal. And um, there's um, a picture that she drew of Chase Andrews. And it's about the creatures in the marsh. It's the opening lines, the swamp. How there's no death. Like, death is not a sin in the swamps. And the movie ends with Kaya's voice that said, And sometimes, in order for prey to live, the predator must die. And as Tate is reading through it, he finds a hand-drawn picture of Chase, and in the back there's a cutout in the journal, and the shell necklace is hidden. And he looks shocked. We see him take the shell off the thread and throw it into the ocean. And Kaya says she's part of the marsh now, deep in the marsh. That's where you'll find her, where the crawdads sing. And that's the end. So the end makes it seem like Kaya killed Chase, right? Yeah. But the speculation is that Tate did it, and she found that he had taken the necklace, and she protected him. And death, and in the swamps, death is normal. It's not a sin. There's no good and bad. Wait, okay. So what is the true... It's True. kind of up for it's debate. Open. But it's like, for me, I think it was seeing Tate's face when he read it. It's almost like a shock of, I don't think he knew that she knew all this time. Oh, so this is, okay, so one or one or the yeah. other. And you take it as Tate did do it. Yeah, or Tate is she, shocked that she did it. I see, I see. Right? Wait, what's a better ending? I feel like Tate doing it. You feel like that? she kept him safe too during the trial. That meant that she found right. the shell necklace and still protected him through the trial. Right. Through all of that. Then versus the other way around would be she she did it, but then she what she just had to believe that she can get out of yeah. the jail free. Yeah, right? which I don't like. Because she also said, I'm not gonna do anything to admit to guilt. That doesn't right. sound like someone who would do it, you know. So is this a love story? I actually heard it's not as like loving of a love story in the book. Oh. I heard the movie makes it really like a love story, but the book, it's really complex. Mm. It's like love, but also kind of like love, but also you're just kind of in this situation together trying to find the best. And there's so many undertones of racism in there. I mean, it's crazy. Why were you so sad afterwards? (sighs) Oh, not sweet at all, bro. (laughs) It tastes like a peanut butter cracker. Hmm. Uh, okay not too sweet oh my god (laughs) i don't know i just was so sad it was so sad oh i'm getting sad i really is it the way the the movie was filmed i really don't like visual depictions of like you know it's so many sad moments it's like the feeling of injustice it's like the feeling of being bullied and then r-worded it's like just Mm -hmm. so much injustice one after the other Mm -hmm. and it's just like this feeling of like god 
just want to punch someone. You know? I know what you mean. Yeah. It's like that injustice movie where mm -hmm. you just like want to fight for the main character. And the feeling lingers, right? Yes. And then I think also it's it's that, but then you can't even just be like, it's just a movie because that shit happens all the time in real life. It's literally how life works. Like, people are R-worded all the time. People are unjustly accused of crimes that they did not commit. Racism, classism is all a thing. But this is at least a happy ending though, right? Yeah. I like it. The visuals are incredible. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's Bacon a Mystery. Let me know in the comments what are your thoughts. And like, did you guys read the book? Because I feel like it would have literally ripped me apart. Let me yeah. know. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I'll see you next week. Bye.